there, there have been leaked emails from Meta as well about going back to 2014 about why they're going into the metaverse. And it's because they realize that Facebook has an end date. Um, the user base has changed significantly. And they're, right now, their revenue up until their purchase of Oculus really had nothing other than Facebook. Warm Collisions YYC. Welcome to my two guests today, Lloyd Summers and Rosalinda Hernandez. How are you both doing? Pretty good. Thanks. Doing fantastic. Uh, so good you guys have you guys. We met again, again, Calgary Conspires. I don't even remember how we met, but we did. That's what I love about doing the show. I get to meet so many different people doing cool stuff. But I'd heard of you guys before. You are both co-founders, uh, Rosalinda in the CEO role and Lloyd in the CTO role of Red Iron Labs, which you guys have been around for a while, correct? Because that name was very familiar to me. I think we'd maybe even been in a meeting together years ago in some project. I don't remember. But before we go any further, what's, what, what's Red Iron Labs all about? Give us a little bit of the elevator uh, pitch and how long you guys been around? Yeah, you want to give that one a go, or should I? Um, the only thing I'll say is that we just turned seven. Mm-hmm. Nice. And okay. Lloyd is really good at doing elevator pitches. So <laughs> Fantastic. All right. With that, Lloyd is the man with the mic. Uh, seven, but you guys have been around for seven years. That's yeah. awesome. Mm. Thanks for setting the bar low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've been around for seven years. We started as a VR video game company in horror. Um, and... We learned so much about ourselves and about the games and about VR at that point that um, really transformed what Red Iron would become. And so, uh, yeah, we uh, since then have expanded into working with companies all over. Um, We work in healthcare. There's stroke software running uh, where you walk through virtual dinosaur parks. We've got um, our own games, which we absolutely love. Um, Anything dealing with social spaces and social VR is really high on our our passion and priority list. Um, Yeah, and we work with companies all over. We've been working with um, lots of post-secondaries, government groups, uh, large um, industrial uh, companies and things like that. But yeah, so we've been very fortunate. And I think uh, because we came out of that gaming, we started bringing that to all the other industries that we started working in. Mm. And I think that's what kind of caused us to blossom. And then, yeah, we got overworked really quickly, and that caused us to hire and grow. <laughs> and uh, you Got it. Yeah, and that's Red Iron. A victim, of, a victim of your own success. When you think about seven years ago in the space of VR and some of those things that were not maybe, uh, I, I'm going to say this boldly, some of the household names that get thrown around now. And, you know, everybody bought an Oculus a couple of Christmases ago and had that experience and now it maybe sits on the shelf or maybe it doesn't how much has the industry changed and evolved even in those last seven years when you guys first got involved to maybe now where the words are more common but does that has that really driven more adoption and more companies looking to do things in the space yeah what i really love about like where we started um like i know that vr has been around for i don't know 30 years right but any of this discourse really is focused on like um post 2016 okay. um i think because that was right around when the oculus came out but the one mm. thing i was going to say about that time that was really ex- uh exciting was that um towards the end of 2015 uh lloyd was working at another startup and he's his mind is just always everywhere so he's always <laughs> experimenting with stuff nice and he just happened to um purchase an open source um vr headset from i can't remember where lloyd you might have to finish this story for me but it was like open source it was like a developer kit that you could start exploring and creating content in and so like our technically our two um i don't know if that was the razor headset but we 
had two headsets before the HTC Vive because companies were already exploring and growing and exploring that area. And then obviously, like we have uh, the Pico, Oculus, and HTC as the leaders now. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was kind of cool because there was people trying to get into the market. It's a little bit when it was the Wild West and you literally bought the the, the VR starter kit mm-hmm. built for guys with curious guys and gals with curious minds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we have a, a great image of me and Rosa passed out in the back of our truck and our family driving us home uh, from our very first VR event. And to do one VR <laughs> person, we filled up half a truck. And it's like computers and, head, and a headset and all of this stuff. And um, nowadays our... Like the kits that we send out with our our team to go do events are like you can fit it in a bag and anything else is like now yeah, it's yeah, giant yeah. monitors and like you know all that over the top stuff. But yeah, we went from so, half a truck to fitting in a backpack over a course of seven years, which is pretty pretty phenomenal. So and like anything in technology, is that also the pace that we're on, where it's just getting more efficient, more accessible, cost is coming down, size, computing power, computer hours going up, size and costs are going are going down, and is that like if you think seven years from now are we going to see as big of a jump again like was it just going to keep building on itself yeah i I definitely think so (laughs) and if you look at like there there have been leaked emails from meta as well about going back to 2014 about why they're going into the metaverse and it's because Mm -hmm. they realize that facebook has an end date um the user base has changed significantly and they're right now their revenue up until their purchase of oculus really had nothing other than facebook and so they knew that they were in uh, going in they're they're going to get into financial trouble if they don't make a change and so um seeing them step in and kind of drive that consumer side has been a a fantastic push for us because the prices come down content goes up they um definitely encourage higher costs on video games which is good for companies so instead of making a dollar you make twenty dollars and it's nice to see that balance come in and Actually, so, so yeah, creating a little bit, like, making it viable from a revenue perspective to mm-hmm. actually go out and build and build it. And when was that? That was October. Was it October twenty one when they came out with the meta announcement and every, all the metaverse coins and everything in the crypto space all kind of shot up and then promptly fell right off. Um, so curious, metaverse. So I won't ask you to define metaverse because I think that's you can <laughs> Google it all day and find that. But the role that metaverse and VR play together, because for a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's virtual reality. I'm like, well, no, not directly. But it's a factor, and certainly that's how Meta, i.e. Facebook, has commercialized that by going, oh, we're getting into the metaverse, and oh, by, why, by the way, here's our VR headset. Mm-hmm. So just from your guys' perspective of living and breathing in this all the time, what is that parallel, or do you see any, like, how do those two things line up of what will, and it will become the metaverse in terms of as it evolves, but the role of VR, is that always going to be part of it, or am I just oversimplifying? Yeah. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> I like to get right into it right away. Yeah. Six, six minutes in, you're like, well, okay, Tyler, thanks for that one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, I, I guess, okay, so some of the, I, I am kind of doing a lot of research into the uh, metaverse right now. Um, people who know me are going to get so tired of me saying this, but I'm working on my thesis okay. for like eight years. Okay. I started my master's mm-hmm. program back in 2014, um, and it's been a long journey to get there. But this latest iteration of attempting um, mm-hmm. to finish it is definitely exploring um, the metaverse, you know, as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of research, and I've been reading this um, book. Um, I, I can pull it up, but basically, yeah, 
uh, how they define it is that it's like a, a network. So the metaverse is a network. Mm-hmm. So the book is The Metaverse by Matthew Ball. Everybody was reading it last year. When yeah, I was going to say that name was everywhere last year, but this, I'm sure he's still doing what he does. But yeah, he was in the media a lot more last year. Mm. Yeah, and I totally agree with a lot of his analysis um, that it's more like a network. And yeah, virtual reality is part of that network. And so is uh, augmented reality. Okay. Um, so I don't remember what your question <laughs> How we see where I was going with this. Will, will will something like virtual reality or augmented reality, but VR, will that always be part of the metaverse? Because if it's a network, how do I get access? How do I become part of that? How do I experience or live in that network? VR seems like the obvious gateway. Like if I want to talk to you, I used to pick up the phone because that's how I would. That was the network that allowed me to connect. Where now we can go and 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 go into the metaverse. Virtual reality just seems to make sense as a, as maybe a portal or a way to think about access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. It'll, there will I could always, be wrong. I'm just putting out my theories. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I think there there always will have to be a portal. Okay. Um, but what that portal looks like, we don't know. Okay. Um, and what right. virtual reality is going to look like, we don't know. Like, um, we were talking with um, Dave Kelly a few weeks ago. We we're just like, you know, just talking about the stuff we're doing, and we're just ideating. He's really amazing at like conceptualizing. <laughs> Uh, a lot of like what we were talking about and um, basically what I was talking about was like um, the capacity of walking down Kensington um, with a layer of um, I guess augmented reality and being able to interact with that layer Um, so and the the background of that is that back in the 90s in the mid 90s um, Kensington was a much different place and as a teenager in that era, there was a lot of like all ages punk bands that would go to Carpenter's Union Hall, which no longer exists. Although I think that Lloyd and I went to an event there like probably 2009. So it's just been in the last decade or so that it left that area. Um, but Carpenter's Union Hall in Kensington was such a important place and at a certain time. And if we could capture that like i think now there's condos where it used to be and all of that and i'm sure inglewood is going to look quite different um in the near future um because of all of the development and if there was a, a way to create and capture and contribute to kind of like that virtual layer um it kind of gives a different view of what is versus what was or what could be so I think that that is more augmented reality and being able to have that layer right now, it would probably be phones. In my mind, I imagine kind of, I think, I think most people are comfortable with walking with their phone like this, but I imagine a different uh, time and place where perhaps it's glasses, where you have your glasses and there's a layer of augmented reality and you're walking down the street and there's just different layers um, mm-hmm. that you could interact with or you can see. Um, I don't know. That's just well, my I've opinion. had the HoloLens experience, which was still big and bulky and you know didn't work that great. But if you yeah. think about, although unfortunately walking around with our phones in front of us appears natural because we're all doing it, I still think it's very unnatural <laughs> to do that. Like That's not how we as humans for the majority of our existence have, ex- have interacted with the world. But as soon as you now 
become hands-free, it does change the interaction. So I agree with you. I don't think we'll ever get there truly if I'm walking around with my phone in front of me, walking out into traffic. I've seen people literally, I know it's Calgary and as a pedestrian, you have the right of way, but you should probably still look just because even if the other person, even if you're right, you could still get hit by a car. But anyways, that's my, I grew up in Montreal where if you walked out in the street, you did take your life in your own hands. So it was up to you. <laughs> you, did, you didn't just loosely walk off a sidewalk because you would get hit. Uh, there might be points awarded, hard to say. Um, but having something that I can now interact with anyone and enriching it. I love what you said about timeline of like, we think of everything in the now, but there was a history of before that went on in a certain area. I love that example. And there's a now, and then there's what's going to be happening in the future by creating an uh, augmented reality layer where I can interact with different depth. What a rich experience you just created from the, oh, this is what's here today, but let me walk you through or, or add some flavor of what was here yesterday for the matter. Anyways, so that was, that's a, that's a, that's a cool concept from a, a user now as we all look to enrich in our experiences and all as we're all experienced junkies right in life mm-hmm. yeah no that's that's really interesting and I, sorry go ahead Lloyd. And, and i think on that part like one thing we tried to do is figure out how do we make it a two-way conversation because right now a lot of um both uh, mm. both virtual reality and augmented reality but especially in ar it's a one-way thing you're walking down a street and it's telling you information it's adding information yeah it's pushing it's pushing stuff at you and the push for us is how do we contribute back how do we let the user mark something as this is a place i grew up i loved it as a kid i want to share my story here and then somebody else can walk by and see that person's story in it i think that connected piece of the two-way conversation is where the metaverse kind of comes in because now and we have some um events companies that we're trying to or tourism things coming up in the ar space that uh play to that where it's like how do we make it more social like let somebody lift a phone and virtually graffiti a wall and somebody else can come in and see it and interact on it and graffiti it their way and making a world that you can interact with in a new way and i think the problem we have with a lot of the metaverse stuff that's hard to adapt is if it's not about you. You're not as interested. And so when somebody just throws a world at you and they're yeah, like, go yeah. play in our world, it's like, yeah. But if you give them a world that they can create and manipulate and build that's theirs and make it their comfort comfort space, they're going to go back and, and use it more. And I think it's that hmm. that layer that needs to be there. And, and And that's really important to us, I think. With game culture, and obviously there's always a new generation coming along and they have different values or they look at things, they want more personalization, they want more customization. Does that influence when you look at the game, not, I don't want to say game theory, but the trends in terms of who the user base are as you guys think about building games? I'm sure that plays into it huge of like, who's the generation that's going to find this interesting and how are they different than the two generations after them or before them? <laughs> yeah, I think gamers are always evolving. I think, um, and as we see the average age of a gamer is starting to increase and um, mm-hmm. older generations are, are um, having a higher game adoption rate. We're seeing, you know, a much closer balance in Canada for male and female gamers and things like that. And so that influences things, but it's also a wariness that happens like for, the, there's always like the current trend and what's changing. And like, if you look at mobile games right now, for example, there's a huge push on over monetization in app purchases um, yeah, advertisements and um, menial tasks that take longer to complete each time. And that's been the backbone of mobile games for the last maybe eight years. And that's got mm. that's worn down on people. So when people open up a phone and they press build and they see it takes 30 seconds to build a virtual house and you're like, oh, it's going to take nine minutes for the second house. So I'm just going to delete the game. And so 
those <laughs> gamers are constantly evolving their wants and needs. Um, and I think that's why, in a way, anyways, to me, VR has been very interesting is because there's no space right now for ads and monetization for a lot of the those freemium 99 cent add-ons. Yep. And, and I'm okay with that. I'd, I like to have a full game or a full experience that you just go in and explore and it's not tied to your PayPal every time you do something or some 30-second ad for a game you don't want to play. So I think that, yeah, like the gamers are evolving and with that, their expectations evolve. And, and I think um, we one of the things we founded on is that we also think that Gamers are starting to lean away from the hyper-violent, over-the-top games. Not to say Red Iron doesn't have our own games that get into um, mm-hmm. different things, but I think that, yeah, the what people want and find fun is always changing. And um, But yeah, I think it might be a good opportunity to also say, like, with Cultivate, how it's not a game, but it is a game. And um, some stuff we have coming down the pipeline that's deconstructing how games are played so it's not you're not playing a game you're playing an experience if that makes sense but totally well you've got you you had muffin muffin fight i know which i just like that sounds it's fun to say if nothing else um what else have you guys got working on and let's talk because i really like what you said i want to i don't want to miss the thread on that it's kind of lazy as a business because if you look at facebook what what did facebook do they just created an ad platform right they sell that and like to your point once that dies what's our revenue whole shit we don't have another revenue model because all we've been doing is selling ads which is what newspapers have done and what radios done and what tv it's kind of lazy <laughs> it's like oh 99 cent in in app purchases and all those things like we're not really getting that creative we're just finding different ways to spin the old consumer you buy i take your money model and you get a payoff for a while and i can game you and stimulate your dopamine and your serotonin but eventually you're like all right i'm just getting tired of like getting like you're 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 one-upping you're upselling me to death but then that requires what you said earlier about actually more money being paid for the experience itself so it can be a little bit more i don't want to use the word pure but it can be a cleaner experience but there's probably a transition of us getting so trained, we get stuff for free, but it's never really free, right? <laughs> free is the delusion because you're getting access. You're, 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 we're giving you the game, but we're, we're now reselling your eyeballs. So when you guys think about your games, and let's go through a few of those, yeah, how are you rethinking all those models while still staying viable as a business during this transition? Because at the end of the day, we also have bills to pay, right? <laughs> Sorry, we're getting, I love how Phil saw how so much perspective we're getting around this. And through this all, we're going to let everybody know what you guys do and what you're, what you're passionate about. We're just coming through. So mm-hmm. what are your kind of list? What are your top three games that you guys have that you're working on right now? And let's, let's unpack those a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, our most current game, I think the one that's most tied to our brand is definitely Muffin Fight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you can't say yeah. it without smiling you just can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um i i guess like lloyd i mean you might have a different perspective uh from that but i kind of feel like um some of the things that we are that we have a challenge with right now that we're trying to prioritize over a revenue model mm-hmm. is the user base okay so uh we do have it for um sale it's I think like about five dollars. Okay. Um, based on the amount of interaction that the the user kind of gets through the muffin fight experience, and what I say, what I'm saying to that is that um, we we're trying to like find a price point. Like we started it much higher because we did research and we were trying to be competitive with the other games in the Oculus um, Quest store in, the, in their storefront, and they were at about twenty dollars. 
And then we got feedback from that saying that um, your game isn't really worth twenty dollars. Okay. Um, because of the limited interactions, like you're you're baking and you're throwing game, like muffins for sure, but beyond that, like what what is that? Like what is there? So we this year's um, edits really integrates like a social space. So hmm. in some ways, we're trying to figure it out. And some of the the aspects that are tied to that is how much it's costing us to make this product because you know like we have to pay for it until that it, it we of get course. our money back somehow right um so we have to kind of like take it step by step but i think that we're still kind of in that exploratory phase of what the revenue models look like uh in a vr experience particularly one where um it's it's mu- mass multiplayer so like people kind of bring in their own uh, experience, expectations, and all of that stuff. So we're still kind of trying to uh, figure that out. But on the last thing I'll say to that, Lloyd, you might have a different perspective. Some of the things that come to my mind when I'm thinking about Cultivate and, you know, what what does the future of our uh, revenue models look like uh, for experiences like Cultivate? Lloyd, I love what you how you called it, that it's, um, I, I can't remember how you said it, but it's not a game. You're playing an experience or something. Uh, and I think that considering the um, demographic uh, research that we're conducting right now, I feel like it's fair to have the expectation of paying members uh, as opposed to a free model where we, we don't believe in, like I know a lot of um, companies right now, it's all about the data because you can sell data. And we come from a different kind of mentality, which is like, nah, I, I don't really want to acquire the data to sell it to someone else. Um, I I want to, in some ways, be protective of the user, um, but mostly for their experience. So I guess I'm dot, dot, dotting at this point, because I don't know where to go with that. Just know that we're still kind of trying to explore. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Lloyd? Yeah, and... Maybe I'll also, because I, I think the second part of that question, too, is what games we have upcoming. And um, so it might be good. I'll take a step back and talk about um, what some of the games are and where they're going and why they're going, if that's okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, Cultivate is one of the games we got funded through the CMF. It's many years in development. Uh, and it is, it was a metaverse before the metaverse became a thing <laughs> or a new thing. So we have built it as this very open platform where you can go in and do anything. And it's changed names a few times and things like that. And But it's really catered towards my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I see it as something that's catered definitely towards creative people trying to build a creative space. Um, so you get to build your own little areas and your own little worlds and your own things, but it encompasses so much. Um, so Cultivate's a huge thing. It's kind of the backbone of a lot of what we do. All of our games right now are in multiplayer of some kind. We, we think that social VR is amazing. Um, so Muffin Fight is a game where, yeah, you bake muffins, you throw them at each other, and it's like a, a an arena game, and it's a lot of fun because, yeah, you got to quickly make muffins and make the best muffin and uh, hit your friend with it, and, you know, chocolate muffins make everything better, the blueberry explodes or uh, into many little <laughs> muffins and things like that, right? Like, there's fun things in there. Um, but then we have two other titles as well that we're working on. We started one at the end of last year that uh, Digital Alberta had shared out and helped. I think it was Digital Alberta and helping us get some beta testers. That was uh, Battlebirds. 
which is still in development. And that one's you're basically flying as a bird, running around attacking other birds. Um, and then we have another title I don't know if we're ready to announce yet that's uh, uh, in a different vein. But um, those are kind of the, the four that we have um, really on the go. Is there anything you want to add to that? Did I miss anything on those? Yeah, I guess I think uh, just to add a, a point to that, it's like, yeah, we, we are doing the mass multiplayer arena type environments. Um there's the the battle like the the mass online battle arena type games that we're trying to not we're trying to but we're starting to see a niche in there that we're we've been developing and then cultivates a little bit um more um i think creative Mm -hmm. so it's not in the same realm but regardless i think that the areas that we're exploring are mass multiplayer mass user base interacting socially in vr Mm -hmm. And now, a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening. And now back to today's good old fashioned chat. With some of the companies that you work with outside, like companies that'll come and quote unquote hire you to help them do work, is that usually is that customer facing or is it often with their internal teams? And what what are you seeing? I'm just I'm trying to get a feel for mm-hmm. the companies that are spending the money on investing in some of these types of plays that aren't traditionally gaming companies. They could be an mm-hmm. industrial company, they could be literally an oil field services company or, you know, uh, that wants to train their employees in a better way. Where are you seeing some of the dollars being spent for companies that don't have gaming as their DNA? Yeah, and that's probably more of a Lloyd question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, like uh, we'll talk about healthcare, for example. So Foothills okay. Hospital brought us in to build a series of experiences to help stroke patients learn to walk again and give them cognitive challenges and things that unpack the way they think. Um, after a stroke, your brain's kind of split. And so there's all kinds of things that can happen. But one of them is um, your left side might move slower than your right side. And so with virtual reality and systems and hardware and you know, in their case, we even have a giant treadmill. It's like that we control the two belts so we can speed one up and slow one down. We can trick your brain into thinking it's working normally and then slowly fade that in. And 
the cool thing is we do it in a way that it doesn't feel like a game. You just blew my mind. You just blew my mind with all that. Yeah. That's so awesome. And that's just that one, is so that is so interesting. And that's just one client. Uh, so you I, you I, you stuck me at the treadmill and the two different sides, and then slowly merging while the brain. Yeah, that's such an interesting. And just even growing up in the world of fitness, yeah. you know, having a left arm injury, you still train the right arm because there is a crossover effect. There is mm-hmm. a benefit, even though it's immobile. Like, don't not train the other side because there is effect there. Exactly. That's so interesting. And then, okay, sorry. You took you just pulled me right down the rabbit hole with that one. Yeah, and then that same one we send kits that they can take home. We got some experimental kits that they can take home and it's a headset you put on at home and it keeps your upper body and your your brain challenges. So speech therapy. Um you're talking to virtual people in in VR so that you practice speaking again and uh, but instead of having a therapist or somebody sitting there saying, "Okay, lift this 40 times." It's a, it's a game with a cannon shooting little balls at you. You got to go like it's just more fun. And so we trick people into exercising by giving them games, which is, I think, absolutely... Oh, which 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 I, I love. Yeah. I love. Which is absolutely uh, amazing. This, what, uh, um, what is it? Say, what's the game? I forget. One of the games in the Oculus, the, Sa- the Saber game, Saber, where you're literally... Yeah. Ch- Beat Saber, yeah, totally. I would literally do that after a workout when I was already fatigued, just to see if my brain and my and my mm-hmm. coordination would actually engage. Yeah. I went on a bit of a, a kick of trying to bolt all that together. I'm like, how can I take like training the physical world, mm-hmm. then do this afterwards when I'm already physically fatigued, to see if I can really tax my hand-eye coordination yeah sorry my own my own little weird armchair basement experiments <laughs> absolutely and so yeah the healthcare side we've done really well we've had some really great discoveries in autism early on into dementia care um, we're doing stroke care at at hospitals but then there's the industrial side so anybody who wants critical safety training um you want a warehouse like for the um you know we d- we've done quite a bit of fire vr where you go into a virtual warehouse there's a thing on the wall and you got to go put the fire out and there's a voiceover that tells you how to use the fire extinguisher and you know it's letting them do dangerous things in a safe way so that when it does happen they know okay an extinguisher i gotta like they know the process to put out a fire um and then so there's a lot of industrial training that we did early on we've moved a lot of that more towards um yeah, healthcare and other places. The other thing I'd say is government contracts and tourism uh, events, education and, t- and learning. And that's a little different. So like um, Calgary Fire, you put on a headset and you go learn as a kid, this little animated cartoon thing comes to life and says, oh my gosh, that kitchen's on fire. Come help me put it out. And it's like, you learn how to tackle, oops, you learn how to tackle these um, interesting problems, and you can tell a story. It's different. It's not like. Uh, uh, Do you get feedback things. from any of those companies you work with? Now I'm getting into just the neurology of how that's the training effect and the ability. Like as we all know, if you don't train for something under stress, you're almost incapable of doing it. Like yeah. there's a there's the reality that if you don't train for dialing nine one one under real stress response, you can't. Your hand becomes yeah. a club, mm-hmm. and you can't dial nine one one. Have you got feedback from these organizations that have invent that have invested into this technology that they've seen an upskilling and, and a positive impact in the field in real life situations where individuals have trained virtually but then had to experience something in quote unquote reality where you mm-hmm. sorry where you when the dangerous thing actually becomes dangerous is the feedback and what you're seeing that that training effect is equally or and or better than if better than not training at all but not having ever been in a real setting yeah and what's interesting about it too is there's a deeper level of records um so there's a transportation company where we did some work for where it's like a two-hour simulation it's massive and you have to learn how to properly tie down a truck with all of the different things that go on it mm, okay yeah and 
two things come out of that. One is now they can go and practice loading a truck with something that they only see once a year, maybe, um, yeah. to get that practice on. So they're not sitting there going, how many tie straps do I need on? Like, they don't have to think about it. They've It's right there. They can go practice it and come back if they want. But the second part of that is the deeper proof. So now we can show a video or like replay the simulation that they did if the if that's the situation in this case they wanted to be able to replay them so that they could show that as the, as the learning the learning tools yeah, yeah so yeah. now mm-hmm. your supervisor can see that i actually did get shown the right way to use the tie straps so if i'm using the wrong number of tie straps i need to retake my train like it just closes some of those loops because you're never sure with traditional training um if people are learning or not and the fascinating thing about vr specifically mm. is it changes the ownership of how we, we teach. So typical teaching is a book or a video. It's very one way. In VR, it caters to hands-on learners. You can virtually lift up the car, go underneath and change the oil, and they get tested on whether or not they can change the oil. They don't get tested on whether or not they answered a question right on the back of a sheet. Or they memorize the procedure in the book and can regurgitate yeah. it. But when real life shows up, you have no clue what you're doing. Yeah, and so that's been... And the, a, lot of the, the big, and a lot of those environments that you're describing are very hands-on. So to your point about being, you know, if you're yeah. a hands-on learner, most people in those environments, I wouldn't say you tendency, you can be visual, you can be auditory, you can assist, but in those environments, you're doing hands-on things. Yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of par for the chorus. And I love the concept of taking something that's that's like low frequency, but high risk, which mm-hmm. is where that becomes the most dangerous. Yeah. This happens once a year, but somebody can get hurt. Yeah. But but you only did it once a year, so be good at it, right? You're like, yeah. like are you kidding me? Like, that's not realistic. <laughs> well, and another good example is ExxonMobil. Hmm. Uh, we did a whole bunch of simulations for them but one is a cylinder replacement that has 300 steps and if you make one step and get it incorrect you could injure yourself or others it's very very easy to do it's a uh, uh, hydrofluoric i think they call it liquid so if it touches air or water it explodes and <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it goes boom yeah, yeah so yeah, how totally. do you change that tank because now you got to take all the hoses off which now have come into contact with air and an outdoor siding which is covered in water and so it's a really <laughs> complex process right and um just being able to let them practice that in VR 20 times before they go and do it. Because um, there's a 50 or 60 person risk injury if you make a mistake. So uh, it becomes a, a, a low hanging fruit for a, a training program in that case. And our companies now, like we're maybe, I guess, are you seeing companies coming to that on their own fruition? Being realized of like, oh, wow, I can do this this way? Or is there becoming a recognition? I'm assuming as this becomes more widespread and training managers and safety managers become much more informed of like, hey, there's a better way. Like, we don't have to. We don't have to, quote unquote, learn this. The, you got to learn it the hard way because that's how I learned it. You know, all that kind of yeah. kind of stuff that can, that can sometimes exist in that world. Are you guys seeing an influx of new opportunities based on companies realizing that this is maybe the, a, a much better way to do it? I'd say yes and no. I think there's a fear mm. of trying new things that slows people down <laughs> and access to fun. We are we are messy humans, aren't we? Still, yeah. <laughs> and VR development's not cheap. So uh, yeah, VR development okay. done right is not cheap. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure there are cheap. I, pre- I appreciate the asterisk, lead. <laughs> but um, yeah, do you want a good, fast, or cheap? Because yeah. you can't have all three, right? No. Yeah, like mm-hmm. we've been working with Zing locally, who's fantastic. They're a transportation company and doing some really interesting mixed reality stuff with them. And right away, they're uh, 
health and safety guy saw it, he's like, "I, I we're going to do so much work together because you can now put a headset on his, and have them. His, his brain just went boom yeah. and opened up. Because we're, depending on how far we go with it, we can do everything from bone tracking to hand tracking to eye tracking. I can tell if you've read the, do- like if you've read the manifest yeah, yeah. or if you looked at the manifest, I can tell the difference. Um, and so for, that's a, that's awesome. for health yeah, and safety course, and things be- like that, it's like, I, you can tell that they read the date on the extinguisher to make sure it's still good and things like that so and what hardware are you guys using for that like you you talked about was when you talked about kind of the key players HTC uh, obviously yeah. um, oculus in a case like that um companies obviously can't have their own they've got to they've got to partner with somebody and use some and commit to some type of software which then affects the development yeah is there a leader right now is there what's the software that you guys would promote if i came in and we had that conversation um we are very agnostic, so I think we support about 13 headsets. Um, oh, wow. Okay, cool. A whole ton of frameworks. We change it per client and per project, really. Um, Based on the use yeah. case or the need, And we'll right? go all the way yeah. to OpenCV, which is like open computer vision, so like hardcore writing everything from the ground up if we need to. Um, I really don't like vendor lock, so I try to keep people from, or at least our clients from, getting into a 2000 a month subscription fee which just had a conversation like <laughs> the, that the, the golden hand the golden handcuffs yeah, yeah where they're like okay we got ten thousand dollars for this project and i'm like yeah well this company is going to charge you two thousand a month for the uh, the project like not us like the company you want yeah, to use just to have access to use the thing and it's yeah. like it's not feasible meanwhile the frameworks have changed so much that you can use this other one which is completely free and open source and um interesting and now you pay nothing and so it, it gets to be all over the place but for us, like we'll use a little bit of everything. So uh, Pico has been fantastic. They're uh, um, a headset manufacturer that are really unlocked Android high power headsets. So they've been fantastic okay. for um, industrial and serious clients. The Quest is the go-to for consumer. I don't think you could um, convince somebody who wants to hire us to make a video game. They're only going to ask us about the Quest. Anything else we sell them on is going to be a, a nice to have, really. So. Well, an, an open consumer environment is very different than a controlled training environment exactly. for a very specific company with a very specific need yeah. right? and, and, a, and a use case. <clears throat> and, so exciting. I really love the the concept of being able to train a high-risk, low-frequency event in a very safe, yeah. low-risk environment, but still be able to get the benefits of the training effect, mm-hmm. of putting in the time on the tools, which all you know used to be you had to kind of, quote-unquote, almost learn the hard way, which is too dangerous and puts too much risk environmentally or human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And cost. It costs too much. Mm-hmm. And then for to even... The, yeah. The big benefit so for us is we then take that and we tunnel that back to the game. So if we're focusing on hands-on learners in in training we can now talk about hands-on creators and how they work in vr so somebody Mm, who's not never used a computer all that much you put a headset on them and give them wands to be able to create things um and so suddenly somebody going into something like cultivate uh where they can build something with their hands from the ground up and not have to understand all the technical bits and pieces gets to be really empowering for those creators um, and so the two well, now you're, together quite a lot. Yeah, we were allowing out their expertise and their and their industry or subject matter knowledge to not be hindered by their inability or comfort with the tech itself, right? Exactly. And that's back back to walking around with your phone in between you and what's going on in the world around you to have that that augmented reality experience. Yeah. And is there a and where does VR and AR when you 
like just talking about inside the realm of what we're talking about with these training settings, is it mainly VR we're talking about here or is augmented reality? I kind of heard about them both equally and it seems like I'm hearing about VR more now, but again, this might be what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, and I think it depends. Every company's different. Um, most of the groups that I'm part of have switched to AR. And Red okay. Iron's the, one of the only ones, I think, that gets pushed more into VR. Um, but we have had a big uptake in uh, AR projects, I'd say, in the last year or so. And I think for me and Rosa, we see them as... They, they have different user bases. Somebody going okay. into VR, you're blacking out their whole world, um, and you're putting them into something completely brand new. So a creator who's making art is going to have so much fun in that space. Whereas in augmented reality, you're overlaying the world. So you have a different expectation and there's different limits, right? Like somebody with a phone can only carry the phone for so long. So you don't want them necessarily doing AR for three hours. They're going to get annoyed. Um, but <laughs> yep. our goal is how do we blend those? So how do we make it? And Rosa did a great job on Cultivate's pitch of how do we take somebody who's sitting at a computer, allow them to participate in the same game as somebody on a cell phone who's also participating in the same game as somebody with a headset, but give them different experiences so that they're um, uh, kind of like giving that social media person power to influence the game, but not making them have to go play a game and install a plugin. It's like, how do you cater to that um, that person's being and bring them into the project? Back to that personalization of what yeah. you meet them where they are, not where they need to be to meet you kind of mindset. Mm. Yeah. Which which is tricky because everything, every platform, every channel just creates more complexity. Yeah. Mm. And two things on that, and then I swear I'm done talking, is... Uh, Lloyd, I don't believe you, but that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll find something more to talk about. So yeah, that ties into what Rosa always says, which is <clears throat> we should be going to the communities, not waiting for the communities to come to us. And then the second part of that, going back to what you said earlier about creativity is... And one of our mantras is to put the creativity first and technology second. We think that mm. technology has evolved so much that we're limited by our creativity, not by the tech. So if you can think it, cool. there's probably a framework that can build it. And there's probably a framework that can build it with no monthly fees. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see. I, I'm sensing that as something that you rally against morally or from a perspective of avoid monthly fees. I'm hearing that loud and clear. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and build it, build it thoughtfully first. Uh, Rosa, pulling, pulling you back into the conversation as Lloyd and I go down a rabbit hole over here. When you talk about that, like with the audience and when you think about some of the games that you're putting in, how do you get access to that audience? How do you, how do they like you get access to them and they get access to you? Like thinking about this as a really, a true relationship with equal weighting. It's a noisy world out there and getting cut through and letting people know you even exist to even want to know they could try out an experience with you. Uh, any thoughts on how you tackle that or is that, is, or is that one of the core, is that a core challenge? Yeah, definitely a core challenge. Um, in this global market, like I, it, we're still trying to figure out how do we get in just in front of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and myself and, uh, Marine, who you've met mm -hmm. yeah, um, on your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she and I have like been friends for like 20 something years. We celebrated our 20 year anniversary. That's nice. That's a nice, that's a nice thing to celebrate. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we've, and, but we've worked together in a lot of different, uh, volunteer capacities, okay. um, and this is going somewhere, I promise, um, <laughs> particularly with, uh, the realm of community development and trying to 
um, well, community development, but also like from a social justice lens. Okay. Yep. Kind of thing. So it's not just about community. It's also about trying to understand the different lenses that create experiences. Uh, this is a over general um, generalization of the kind of work that we've done together because we did volunteer for the United Nations Association in Canada, Calgary Ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there really wasn't necessarily a deep analysis to the user experience there. But the point is, like, how do you create uh, connections between um, people through different lived experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we're very grassroots and we're very subculture focused. A lot of my um, ways of seeing and understanding and trying to put things together are heavily influenced uh, by my perception of the music industry okay. or even like the cosmetics industry, those kind of like things that uh, I put a lot of value behind it. And I'm just like kind of observing it as a user and how um, they function and kind of relate, like um, bringing it back to our company and how that works. So to me, um, I don't remember where I was going with this, but I guess like we're still trying to figure out like, how to expand but we're very focused in that little grassroots level right because i started rambling about that because subcultures yeah basically how how do you things erupt musically from like you know a scene like a scene right Mm -hmm. so i think we're very focused like that not so much globally trying to get our stuff to be a multi-million dollar company though that's I'm not saying that we're not. That's not trying. a bad idea. No, I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you're not saying you're against that. I didn't hear. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear that at all. But when you think about almost interoperability at a cultural level, and how do you integrate, like you said, multiple lived experiences? Because it's so hard because we have our own. And to think from another person's lived experience, it's almost impossible. You can you can empathize and you can put yourself in their shoes, but can you really? When you think about building these games or thinking about building worlds for people to interact in, how do you make it appealing to groups with very unique or different learned lived experiences that's tricky like that's social you're like anthropology social scientists like you're, you're going to a whole other level outside of just oh yeah no we're a bunch of tech geeks who like to build stuff there's so much more at stake when you're building a, a, a world or a universe mm-hmm. or an ecosystem or whatever buzzword you want to use these days that's an interesting so from an organizational perspective as you guys think about these games is there a whole line of thinking around the cultural elements that you're bringing in to make it appealing to these different groups yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of thought um, and deep thinking about it because it, it's not easy and there's no such thing as the right approach. <laughs> yeah, um, well, but, well, well said. <laughs> yeah, but the one thing that I think where we have kind of um, a leg up on, or I can't remember the term I'm trying to use, but basically our advantage mm-hmm. is that um, Lloyd being um, an ally and ensuring that, mm-hmm. like, my, my, um, I really want to ensure that, like, we do, we have meaningful and active impact on what this inclusion, what this representation look like, uh, in video games and in technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, having one of the co founders being, uh, a supporter and an ally, and another of the co founders being, um, like uh, a brown woman in tech um, is important, but even more important, I think, is um, 
you know, myself and Maureen, we come from that space. And we're also part of, uh, like, different communities that delve deeper into these spaces. I identify myself as a brown woman, but um, there's a lot of other intersectionalities that are, like, underrepresented in tech uh, Mm -hmm. that aren't even given a moment of uh, time to uh, be considered as part of that group that's going to be uh, utilizing our products. So I think the fact that we we already, we come from those spaces, we're part of those spaces, we respect, um, we acknowledge our, our privilege and respect uh, where we may not understand other lived experiences. I think that that's already the foundation of our company. <laughs> so uh, we're not trying to figure out how to do it. We're trying to like how, how to understand other people. We're already a part of those conversations and, and the, the, um, I guess the process that we're in now is like, you know, um, what does that look like mm-hmm. with the development of our product? If that makes any sense. I know it, I talk it, about No, it absolutely, it absolutely does. And I really appreciate it. You, know, you can't have a conversation about technology without talking about bias in the data or bias in representation and, and you know, so many things to think about where you guys are coming from. And again, I'm just paraphrasing back what I heard. <laughs> but if you're creating these experiences, that level of intent that you're putting into it to make it more inclusive or to make it more relevant to different groups who have come from different lived experience, it's hard to do that from just a workup, but you're doing it from a place of living it and a place of, of experiencing it from your from your own set of lenses. And that's really, I wouldn't say it's, I won't say it's easy to talk about, but it's a lot easier to talk about than it is to actually put into practice. <laughs> Maybe that's mm-hmm. what I'd say. Mm-hmm. Thinking about something philosophically and then actually making business decisions and development and design and and software and hardware decisions based on the experience you're ultimately creating to be inclusive as a, as a something that's clearly close to both your hearts as you're both nodding as you're talking it really shows up for me as the dna of what makes you guys you <laughs> you know and as a company that's all we can ask for is like well, how are you different other people do this well sometimes it's hard to articulate so i do appreciate that finding the perfect catchphrase to explain <laughs> what your differentiators is not always easy mm-hmm. but you do it and when you're working with organizations uh and you're putting together video or sorry no, i don't say videos uh, i'm looking at your screen on the side here so I, <laughs> they look at but there i know they're you're putting together experiences does that level of thinking of like hey just want to make sure we're considering all these factors is that getting play at the table or are, are your clients now going, oh, yeah, you know what? We are aware of that, but we didn't even know how to approach it as we're putting together these these how to tie down the truck bed experience. Mm-hmm. I think everybody uh, says that, um, but I mm-hmm. do know that there's uh, core clients who actually do believe in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in this in this environment, you're not going to get someone who, who's like, oh, I don't care about that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> let's hope not. Um, but yes, <laughs> Let, let's hope they, they they don't say that and they don't act that way either. <laughs> but but the truth is, like we do we do know um, and have clients who that is part of their core, um, whether they are part of um, underrepresented communities or their allies mm-hmm. who are. Um, more than more than the label allies, they're actually doing deep they're actually dives. Do, they're actually doing. I appreciate your differentiation. They're actually doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do, we do, and it is a growing um, group of people. And I think that it's just um, working with a lot of teenagers and a lot of 
people in their early 20s mm-hmm. i do get a lot of eye roll because to them to them like this whole like inclusion representation thing is like i know you know like and it's you not, did that it's, you did that very well you're not <laughs> the audience can't see video but you nailed it i think for sure you just you just and, channeled my 20 year old nephew but that's okay <laughs> and we don't have kids so yeah you know if i had kids i, I probably would do a better impression but i mean it's already kind of a part of their um yeah they're just how who who they are how they are um but the truth is and this is kind of like how i kind of bring them back to my space which is like um totally totally i'm totally loving that you are um very aware of these issues and you're growing up respecting but you know what it's not the reality uh because yeah. you are in your little institutions <laughs> your that bubble. are protecting you uh in the real world and i know this from being a woman in tech, um, there is a lot of misogyny, even from people who, like men who are like, yeah, totally, like more women in tech, but they don't care about the work that needs to go and deconstructing their own mindset. So it's like totally cool. I love that this new generation is going to bring in different um, values, but that's not the current um, yep, I appreciate real that. world. Mm-hmm. I remember what the question was. No, that was great. I don't either. We're having a great... Well, ultimately, what we're trying to do here is that the audience goes, I understand what you do. I understand what you're about. Um, you've We've given them some insights on what's happening in the space. You've given some great examples of you know real practical, uh, quote-unquote, rubber meets the road applications where these things and these tools and these technologies are really showing up. And one, making companies better, making employees feeling more empowered, making people safer, like that's happening. But what I really loved is what we got to kind of here at the end, and Rosalind, I think you did capture it, is the essence of how you do what you do and and what's the underpinning that you guys put behind it because vr is just a technology how you've Mm -hmm. chosen to use it and the philosophies and the core beliefs and values that you have as an organization which are far beyond just putting them up on the wall like you said of like how we actually doing it i think that really came out so no i really appreciate what you said and our audience has been on the journey too so they got to get here with us so from a red iron perspective um i love what you guys are doing and i love the philosophy and the values that you're bringing to the underpinning of these experiences because now i'm a user having an experience on one of your platforms and I'm I maybe can't call it out but you've built in a lot of kind of a, a values-based structure that is what you guys believe in I think that's cool so anyway, sorry yeah, that's, my, that's I, my summary of what I've heard so far thank you yeah no and I think like what my goal is um, because I definitely it gets tiresome it gets tiresome to um, have like stand up for anything to be honest that's why there's a lot of burnout um but it does get tiresome and i i want to be in a place where i'm not talking about um pushing these kind of values um i want to be in a place of like it just is you know like it we don't have to talk about it because like it's just part of who we are it's a part of um what our team members value from the get-go so there's not a lot of teaching uh, from that perspective and it, it just is and we create some really amazing products uh, for a lot of different uh, people with different experiences and it just is I don't know how to word it better but it just is it's not something that um, we need to really point at that we're doing I don't know if that makes sense it 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 definitely does, and I, it's funny. I had a, I had an interview probably a year and a half, two years ago, with an individual who moved to Sweden. She worked in Mal- she moved to Malmo, Sweden, to work at IKEA, and she was from Calgary and senior level, and she was on their PR comms team. And she said, "Tyler, the biggest thing I had to realize here is that they don't have gender." 
bias. Like, even if you make a gender joke, they go, she's like, uh, they're like, we don't get it. Like, what do you like? What do you mean? That's a blue task or that's a pink task. Or they said like, you know, you walk downtown at lunch and there's just, just as many men with strollers that are on parent that are on, uh, uh, on leave uh, because their wife went back to work. And he said, she said, it was so interesting for me that it wasn't even part of the dialogue at work. And it kind of blew me away of just showing how much of a learned, how, how much of a lived experience that is maybe in North America. We go to other parts of the world. And they're like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Or that's a guy thing. What, what, what do you even mean by that? And it was just, it just one of those moments. I'm like, I just never heard that broken down before. So to your point, anything's possible. <laughs> we're just rewrite. <laughs> we're rewriting a very long lived experience right now, but I do believe it can be rewritten a hundred percent. Love that. Because parts of the world where it's not even a thing, they don't even talk about it. <laughs> and that's just one, like to your point, that's, I just pick gender. Like there's so much more, like you said about intersectionality. You can't just pick one thing. Go, I'm about this. Well, you got to be about all of it <laughs> to be really, to be truly inclusive. All right, so that was a complete sidebar story, but it just triggered me to think about it. It's the part of why I do this podcast. I get to have so many dynamic conversations and walk away like, oh, wow, I'd never heard that before. <laughs> so, yeah. um, hey, what's the best way for people? Of course, redironlabs.com. You've got a great website. You have a ton of content on here. What's your preferred? That's my new question. How do you like people to get a hold of you guys? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that the number one way that we're trying to um, bring people in and connect with them is through our discord server okay Mm -hmm. um how you get there um in this you know you're just listening to us talk like the best way to get there is if you go to our webpage, which is redironlast.com um there's a, a link there to our discord server perfect and that's definitely a, that's the go-to kind of environment typically for the developer of the tech community. And I just, I come across it more and more and it's first like, what is this? And then you start to see it everywhere kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So if, if there, is there a second tier for my audience who's like Discord, sir, I don't even know. I don't understand. Is it LinkedIn? Is there email? Is there anything? I'm just give. I like, I'm a marketer. I like to give people multiple ways to get a hold of me. <laughs> Lloyd, do you have? Yeah, I'd say, um, Katia does a great job on posting to LinkedIn. Um, same with Twitter, but yeah, the if you want a meaningful conversation, um, Discord's definitely where you go because it's two-way, but if you're just trying to follow nice. and get updates and see what we're up to, yeah, Twitter, LinkedIn is uh, both good. Uh, um, the the, the usuals, well. the standards. Yeah, I yeah, know, got yeah. it. <clears throat> well, congratulations on the amazing work that you guys do. Thanks for the conversation. We went on a lot of twists and turns, but I think we told the story and we got to geek out on a few different things, which is which was super fun. And I really, I was looking forward to this conversation. So I enjoyed having you guys on. Uh, thank you guys for being awesome, being cool. That was a fun, that was a fun episode. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Thanks, Tyler. Thank so we totally appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, thank you. That's such a nice thing to say. It's absolutely. I feel honored to have these conversations. So we're we're it's it's that's good karma we got going on there. <laughs> All right, thank you both. Thank you so thank much. Thank you.